Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought numerous societal needs into sharper focus. One of those is the need for accurate information. MTSU's Department of Communication Studies has a new health communication concentration that could help to fill the void. Our guests are Dr. Betsy Dalton, an associate professor, and Dr. Natalie Hoskins, an assistant professor, both from that department. The truth about health after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. The work of five MTSU art professors is the focus of a celebration of the centennial of women's suffrage in a new exhibit in Murfreesboro's City Hall Rotunda. Tuesday, August 18th, is the 100th anniversary of Tennessee legislators' by-one-vote approval of the constitutional amendment giving American women the right to vote. That narrow decision gave America the 36th state and three-fourths majority needed to ratify the 19th Amendment. The measure became law on August 26, 1920. The exhibit, Patterns of Progress, Celebrating 100 Years of Women's Suffrage, is saluting this historic anniversary by showcasing the work of MTSU Department of Art and Design professors. Patterns of Progress will be on display through September 10th. The Rotunda is located at 111 West Vine Street inside City Hall and open to the public weekdays, except for holidays, from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. City safety protocols require appropriate social distancing and encourage face coverings for all visitors. The artists will be on hand to discuss their work Friday, August 14th from 6 to 8 p.m. during the Borough Art Crawl. And registration is underway for the 24th annual Expanding Your Horizons in Math and Science Conference at MTSU, which will be held virtually from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Saturday, October 3rd. This will be the first virtual EYH conference, which, like many public events, has been moved to an online environment as a safety precaution to slow the spread of COVID-19. Middle school and high school girls who will be 5th through 12th graders are welcome to participate virtually. There is no registration fee. Andrea Eller, who recently earned her doctorate and works at the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C., will be the EYH keynote speaker via video conferencing at noon on October 3rd. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Betsy, Natalie, welcome. Thank you both for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us about the health communication concentration and what it means for communication studies majors. So when we're studying health communication, we're looking at communication processes such as, um, you know, disclosure, social support, information seeking, um, group and team communication and decision making, uh, empathy and listening all of those things taken into a health uh, context. In health context, we might be interested um, vary a lot. It could be um, patient-provider communication, interprofessional uh, team communication, like in a hospital setting, Mm -hmm. strategic message design that's um, focused on encouraging positive uh, behavior change for optimal health outcomes, Um, And then within our our own social experiences of health, you know, everything from we might study 
what is it like to reveal a chronic illness in the workplace to something like um, condom negotiation in the heat of the moment. So for a student who uh, opted for this, they would be taking their regular core communication classes. So, um, you know, introduction to human communication, theory, uh, our methods courses, both critical and quantitative. Um, and then they would get into some of our more um, core communicate, or uh, excuse me, our core uh, health communication classes. Um, so introduction to health communication. We have some courses focused on relationships and health communication, patient provider communication. We also have health and risk communication. What else, Natalie? We've got the dark side of health communication. Uh, yeah, and we have um, healthcare organizations, social support and um, social relationships and health communication. Technology and communication technology, social media, that's another one. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, they are a communication major and they will have that wonderful flexibility. And if they do want to go into a health field, this concentration will prepare them um, in a way that has them speaking the language of healthcare so that they will have that option. What kind of careers lie ahead of these students uh, with or without the COVID-19 pandemic? For example, I'm thinking that someone who's a public information officer with a hospital and uh, would be talking to the news media about um, either uh, a mass casualty situation, some sort of disaster, or, you know, if some sort of a celebrity or public figure were in the hospital would take a much different tone at a press conference than uh, some other kind of health communicator would say a, a contact tracer in trying to be empathetic talking to the families of COVID-19 patients or uh, people who might have contracted the uh, virus and would be required to elicit information about all the contacts they've had. There, there are varying degrees of different skills involved from career to career is what I'm trying to get at here. We were just talking about this the other day that a communication studies major, uh, a student who majors in our discipline, has the ability to be flexible in all sorts of career choices, um, and not just communication oriented fields, but just anywhere you go in your professional and personal life. Um, your communication effectiveness and appropriateness is improved. So um, the same is true for those who choose to concentrate in the health communication concentration in that no matter what career they choose, they do have or will have a higher level of understanding of um, health contexts, um, individual cultural differences regarding health and wellness, um, empathy, and skills related to um, understanding how to react in a crisis or when there's risk involved. And that spans multiple um, job opportunities and contexts. It, it's also important to know where lines are drawn, is it not? For example, the federal law HIPAA mandates that certain types of health information not be conveyed to the public. At many levels in the healthcare provider setting, whether you're um, a home health service manager managing a team of providers, uh, or whether you're a doctor or surgeon um, doing some of the really difficult specialized work, all along in those different uh, positions, 
you know, we talk about in class how laws like HIPAA are, um, of course, the higher order governing uh, rules and policies, but even without them, uh, we, we do talk about how um, individuals need to operate under a certain ethical and moral code um, in terms of not just protecting the private information that's required by law, but also by getting consent from your um, uh, patients and or clients, depending on the field. Um, what is informed consent? Is it really uh, sufficient for us to just hand out a document and expect for them to be literate and um, information literate enough to read and understand? Um, or is our individual responsibility as care providers or as practitioners in the health-related positions to um, ask questions for um, gauging their comprehension, to engage in talkback, uh, practices, which asks them to tell us what we're asking of them, so that um, anybody who goes through the patient-provider class understands that it's much more complex than just following laws. It really is about having a fundamental concern for the well-being of others. It usually takes a few months for the idea of a new academic concentration to come to fruition. Was this in the works before COVID-19 became the overarching issue of our society? It was. Both Natalie and I, I'd say we identify as health communication scholars and always have, and we were excited to be able to come together here and be given the opportunity to start this concentration. And then COVID-19 happened, and suddenly we thought, this is a really critical time, and I think the role of communication is coming to the forefront, you know, for better or worse, through this pandemic. And there will be a lot that we learn from it. You know, I'm seeing, and I'm sure Natalie, you're seeing too, it's a lot of opportunities for uh, research as well. I was hired here in 2018 to join the communication studies faculty to help develop this health communication curriculum. And before the pandemic, my research was already focused on issues like social support and emotion and um, social relationships in terms of interpersonal wellness. So um, when I helped Betsy and the other faculty members developed this curriculum, I already had it in mind that we would need to have a social support class to help students understand um, patient advocacy and um, uh, provider roles in terms of uh, helpful and unhelpful messages, et cetera, um, as well as a class that we're offering this fall. I'm teaching um, one of our core courses in the health comp curriculum called um, Social Relationships and health communication. And before this COVID-19 pandemic, I would have of course talked about the um, biological, um, psychological and social ramifications of being isolated, right? And how it's a, a threat to our health. But now not only are there research opportunities because of this horrible crisis, um, but there's a real um, push to change our pedagogy so I'm, I'm really playing around with ideas of getting students to work with journaling this, uh, this fall semester because um, the way that they can reflect on their social relationships and how they've changed in some ways, uh, like myself, my family and I have been stuck together, right? So we have like constant social connection um, with my husband and two kids, but some of our students are isolated and they're all alone. Um, they've been separated from roommates and their long distance family members are far away. And 
Um, the students who stick it out and come through to um, you know, participate in coursework this fall are going to, I think that they'll benefit from a class like social relationships and health comp, not just from a professional perspective, but from uh, the point of view that they can actually personally benefit from the reflection of um, their own social relationships and their own personal health. We'll take a break right here. We will be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The Center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Dr. Natalie Hoskins and Dr. Betsy Dalton from the Department of Communication Studies about the new health communication concentration in that department. Uh, What characteristics differentiate the nature of health communication from other types of communication endeavors? And I guess with this question, I'm asking it from the um, uh, from the standpoint of the academic discipline, uh, also perhaps in terms of the, the, the type of vocabulary used being a little different than in other areas of communication studies. We tend to foundationally focus on the transmission of meaning through verbal and nonverbal messages, just at the foundation. But then the differences, so that's at the root of any communication study or any communication subdiscipline, but the differences are in context. The differences are in uh, the focus of study, the focus of the lesson, and health communication is a subdiscipline like interpersonal communication or organizational communication, and it really, it does focus on the same ideas, concepts, and skills um, that Betsy was talking about before, such as listening, empathy, um, we, we talk about cultural awareness, diversity, um, so it's both theory as well as practice and skills. A lot of what you'll see in terms of research is, um, is more applied in health communication, and we're, we're asking about um, you know, pretty specific problems and, and how to solve them in real time. You know, so how do we um, do something like normalize wearing masks in public? How do we improve adherence to, uh, say, clinical recommendations or prescriptions or something? You know, um, how do we improve telehealth delivery? Um, I'm sure a lot of us are experiencing that right now. And then things like how do we how do we create messages that are going to reach the public, say, in a time of pandemic, the public who are sufficiently worried about what's going on, the public who are absolutely terrified and frozen in place by what's going on 
and then the people who have absolutely no concerns or worries about what's going on. That's often how we sort of divide up the three major sectors. And you've got to think about message delivery in a way that can make life and health better for all of those groups. I, I imagine the historical perspective is pretty important too, because we've got entire generations of people who have never seen a case of smallpox, never seen a quarantine sign hammered onto somebody's front door. It's been a long time since the 1918 flu pandemic, and a lot of people were not directly affected in this country so much by H1N1 or SARS. To the average person, it seems all sort of a dizzying whirl, and there's a lot of misinformation out there as well. There is, and um, with the study I'm doing right now, we're trying to understand people's experience of gathering that information and making sense of it. Um, but we are starting to see some really interesting things. Among them, confusion. People are finding, according to what they're saying, hard data and numbers to be um, the thing that they're looking for. Um, they are seeking expertise. That is a very valuable thing. And people really want to know what's happening locally. Um, they want to hear the numbers in their county, and that's going to drive their everyday decisions about going to the grocery store and going on a hike. Once they do have the information that they perceive to be the truth, what are the underlying factors in their own worldview and belief system that has so many influences, social, psychological, biological, that helps them, encourages them to conform to, to follow that information or prevents them from following that information. So like I know some people who have said that they won't wear masks because they're embarrassed, that they think mm -hmm. it looks bad. I mean, it's something, yeah, it'd be easy to trivialize it to say, oh, it's, you know, life or death. Who cares what you look like? But for many people, the um, physical appearance is so important to them that they would never leave the house wearing a face mask. So that even if you get the truth, uh, what do you do with it? Right. So there are so many underlying factors. Also, you know, I think about some older adults that I know, such as my grandparents, who are still going grocery shopping for themselves and, and doing things that they love. And part of the influences behind that uh, has to do with, you know, what quality of life are they going to have in their remaining years? They're at a higher risk than some of us. And yet they're not willing to um, isolate themselves because they feel like they, um, they don't want to miss out on whatever time they have. <laughs> so I, I'm really interested in that. Even once we figure out where people are getting their information, what do they do with it? Yeah, and I think it's a balance. Everybody's trying to balance their um, mental and physical health. And I think it's interesting that every time somebody goes out and they don't have a mask on and they go to the grocery store and they come home, and then they don't get COVID-19. That's kind of a ding in their reward center that, well, it was fine that time. It'll probably be fine next time. I think that's just how people work. And to Natalie's point, we haven't normalized things like wearing masks. If we look at different cultures like in China, yeah, they, they wear masks just because they happen to not feel well and they're taking public transportation. It's much more normalized there and it's part of their culture and it's not part of ours. As much as the information coming from news media and social media may influence people and their behavior, 
whether we walk out wearing our face mask to normalize that behavior is as much, if not more, of an influence because people in our community will see us embracing this new um, order to take cover um, and then say, oh, well, if they're doing it, then I'll do it too. And so we have that ability through that nonverbal behavior to communicate our willingness to conform to something that might have been foreign to us previously. All good points, and I thank you all for making them. And on the other side of this break, we'll come back and back up a little bit and talk about the study in which Betsy is, is participating. We'll take a break. This is MTSU on the Rec. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The Department of Communication Studies has a new health communication concentration. Our guests are Dr. Betsy Dalton and Dr. Natalie Hoskins of that department. And Betsy, it's important, I think, we include in the conversation that you are in participating in a research study to which you alluded earlier on how people get and analyze information about the COVID-19 pandemic. How far along are your colleagues and you in that? Process. Well, I'm working with colleagues at Western Carolina University, University of Georgia, and UT Knoxville. And so we talked to each person for, um, they've been lasting about an hour, and people have been sort of understanding what are people uncertain about, and how are they dealing with and managing that uncertainty during this really interesting point in time where we're starting to unquarantine and look into what does new normal look like, and um, as restrictions are being eased, how are people interpreting kind of the rules and using information to guide their behavior. How many total participants ultimately do you and your colleagues need to make the study as credible as possible? Well, because we have kind of a wide population of interest. In this case, more is better. If we could get um, 100 interviews done, that would be a lot of data. <laughs> Even 50 would be great, and that would be considered a lot for a qualitative study. But again, we, we want to make sure we're capturing people, um, a variety of different demographic groups, and really getting um, all those different perspectives. So we will um, continue to do interviews. There's a lot of calls out right now from journals and conferences saying about this topic, you know, or, or just COVID-related topics. Um, so we do have some deadlines in mind, but we will, you know, march forward with as many as, as we can get at this point. One of the things we're asking in our interviews related to questions is, if you get invited to a social gathering now and you're not comfortable going, like, how are you managing that? If you want to say no, how are you saying no? And how are you justifying it? And how are you making those decisions and still continuing to manage your close relationships in this really tricky time? There are a lot of celebrities and even just plain everyday average folks who are making videos and social media posts about protecting yourself and sheltering in place and washing your hands and things like that and making it funny 
and entertaining and captivating, and they have a lot of clout, right? The um, actors, uh, I'm not gonna name names because I couldn't possibly, but the celebrities that, that people love to follow on social media have, I like to think, far more influence, again, this is not something I would have championed before, but uh, far more influence than some of our politicians and leaders in government. I think that that's probably a, a boon at the moment because we're getting some really good messages from them. This might be an excellent opportunity for someone who unfortunately has found themselves unemployed as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic to switch gears and adapt to something that will not only help them help people, but help them get back on their feet as well. Uh, how can people find out more about the new uh, concentration? Where do they go to get information? Folks can contact us, Dr. Dalton or myself through email, um, and we can answer questions and, and get things moving if people are interested in taking any of our classes. Um, I'm also doing a focus group study and uh, around a topic that's not related to COVID-19. Um, we're interested in what types of messages, encouragement, openness, the gender-based violence programming on campus, and we're looking to recruit participants this fall. So if any faculty or students are interested in participating in a study like that, they can also um, contact me through email. So noted. Dr. Natalie Hoskins, whose email is natalie.hoskins, H-O-S-K-I-N-S, at mtsu.edu. And Dr. Betsy Dalton, whose email is elizabeth.dalton at mtsu.edu. Thank you both for being on the program. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun, hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. MTSU Center for Educational Media recently hosted a virtual workshop to share expertise with instructors for English language learners. The ELL Collaborative Summer Academy was started in 2017 by Dr. Laura Clark and draws participants from throughout the state. Although the pandemic forced this year's event completely online, it was somewhat appropriate since a key topic was how to support students and families in a virtual environment. Dr. Clark shares more. Schools typically have a few uh, teachers to work with English learners. In some of the rural districts, they have one person for the entire district. So people are often in, sort of in a silo, sort of isolated, sort of working alone. And for us to build an opportunity to network across districts and across the state has been very successful and much appreciated 
particularly in the rural districts. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.